WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. This is WFYI's latest small studio session featuring Indianapolis-based Public Universal Friend. You can find the video of the performance at WFYI.org slash smallstudio. Stay here right after the music for an interview with Jody Friend from WFYI's Kyle Long. Small Studio Sessions is made possible with support from Sun King Brewing. Public Universal Friend from Indianapolis. Over here to my right is my friend Adam on guitar. Back here on percussion is my friend Phil. Back here on drums is my friend Jacob. My friend Ty is on bass. My friend Mina on keys. My name is Jody Friend. This next song is called Firestarter.
Next one's called Healer.
Time for one more. Everyone, thank you so much for listening, for being here. It's our last song, it's called Lifted. Only a 
wanna see the grave lifting up its own WFYI's Kyle Long spoke with Jody Friend after her band's performance for small studio sessions. They discussed the significance of the group's name and how it connects to the music Jody is creating with Public Universal Friend. Jody, that was an incredible performance. Thank you for being here and great to meet you. Kyle, thank you so much. It's great to meet you. Yeah, and first I want to ask, I'm sure you've been asked this question many times, but I want to ask about the project's name, Mm -hmm. which has a very deep and profound history and references the work of an 18th century Quaker prophet, right? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the name Public Universal Friend, what that means to you, and why you embrace that name for this project. When I first started exploring my own gender identity, and I was studying the history and seeing if there were any any people in the past that had maybe embodied some gender expansivity. Um, that was one historical figure that I ran across like, again and again, especially one from a faith background, which was really something that was specific to my experience. So when I read about Public Universal Friend, I put it on my spreadsheet of band names. Um, that was extensive, um, but that was the one that kept coming back and especially one that was like, there was there was this beauty to the story of the friend that followed this narrative of subverting social roles within the church in order to love people better. And that's something that has been a theme in my life of growing up in the church and being trans and sometimes those two worlds not coalescing Um, but I am a personal embodiment of that, um, that kind of pairing of, (laughs) of worlds. And when I read the band name, after thinking about it for a while, I was convinced that it was the name for our band. And it was something that was a, a big charge to take because I felt like I was living up to a historical figure's name and also changing the meaning of it with my band, um, but it's, it feels right, and it was one that we adopted um, in summer 2020 as we were recording Perennials. Yeah, and the public universal friend existed during the era of uh, revolutionary America, right, during the founding of the country, so to speak. Uh, they went through a near-death experience and awoke and kind of had this uh, new consciousness as a genderless prophet, right? Is that Mm -hmm. kind of the nutshell explanation? that is their story. And throughout their life, they were facing this sort of uh, divide between gender and spirituality. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you've faced in your life as well. And it's something you read about on the album Perennials, correct? I wondered how much of your own personal um, struggles with these issues you would like to share and how that kind of influences the music you're making now. Mm. 
when I was writing Perennials, it was it was a documentation of the last three years of my life before I came out and all the changes that took place and trying to um, kind of smash together all these different parts of myself and integrate. And when that, the more that manifested, the more I realized that there was a lot in my life that had to change in order for me to be in a place that was emotionally and physically healthy and somewhere that was good for me. So like when I, I guess when I was like, when I was writing perennials, I did not have in mind that I was going to come out. I, I thought it was going to be just kind of a story of angst, honestly. Um, I didn't really have a point to it, but as like my life went on and as like the recording of the album happened, um, there were some things like my life within my church fell apart. Um, my marriage ended and so much of my upbringing in the South in light of what I was going through in the moment was, was very much like a conditioning against so much of what I knew I needed to do in order to grow. So I had to have a reckoning with my past and with my understanding of God and like church and church people. And what I found in the end, not that I've um, become an expert only, only in my narrative, I suppose, even then, <laughs> I'm not, not an expert in my own narrative sometimes, but the beauty is that there is no dichotomy and there is no separation of being a trans woman and being someone who believes in love and the power of the divine and the mysticism of the spiritual self. Um, and I knew somewhere deep down that those worlds could coalesce and become one world. But for some people, it is, it's apparent that keeping those two worlds separate gives power to certain entities and governments and honestly, churches. So it was something that I knew when I was going to come out that I was going to be challenging not only my upbringing, but institutions and people that were in power. So it became like even more than like a personal admission, it became something that was kind of political in a way, which is inherently what transness is, unfortunately, is that it becomes a very political issue. So I knew like writing the album that it would say something big, but I had no idea that it would carry with it the narrative that it has. Thank you for sharing that. It sounds, I can't imagine what you went through during this experience, but you've come out of it so beautifully and created a really a stunning work of art as a result of it. Uh, and I'm curious about the release of Perennials because so much of your, yourself was invested in this, your identity was invested in this, and it was a coming out in many ways for you, right? Uh, anytime an artist releases their work to the public, it's always a, a feeling of uneasiness. But typically we're just being judged on the artistic merit of the work. You are facing all sorts of other judgments about your identity and who, you know, your, your reality as a human being. Tell me how difficult, if it was difficult to, it was to put this album out. And were you feeling a sense of uneasiness about the whole process? I think putting out the album required me coming out. So I 
made a post on social media in February, released the album in March. And I had been living as a gender non-conforming person for many years. And there was always something different about the way I presented myself and embodied my body. But it was a time where I knew that in order for the narrative of perennials to make sense, I would have to make a very clear statement and say, this is who I am, this is where I've been, this is where I'm going. And um, I will say that my life, nothing short of fell apart around that time. And I had to rethink all of my values and all of my priorities. And the beautiful thing is that once everything fell apart, I died. It was, it was literally a death. And this identity that I lived under for 29 years was gone all of a sudden. And I changed my name legally, had a new band name, new album. Um, there were community that magnetized themselves to me. And there were some that disappeared and some that chastised. And the ones that stuck around are the ones that were the real ones, the ones that love me for who I am. So it taught me a lot about authenticity and the power of that, but also the risk and the danger. And the reason I think it's worth it, and that is always my conclusion in the end, is that it's worth it because that's the only way that new life can happen is when you're real and you risk attachments, you risk um, encountering people who do not have a, an emotional literacy for handling a change like a gender identity. But the beauty behind the, those who magnetize, magnetize themselves to you, remind you of the truth and are the ones who are, uh, I guess their heart is toward your integration instead of there being a reliance upon your inauthenticity in order to exist with them. So uh, my friends are the ones I can be real around and that is through and through and I just don't have time for anything else to be honest. And Jody, I do want to talk about the music you're making with this project. When I first listened to Perennials, I was really struck by the presence of textures of 90s indie rock, right? And I subsequently read an interview with you where you mentioned bands like Fugazi and Radiohead. I can't imagine, you were probably born in 1990, right? Somewhere around there. <laughs> 91. <laughs> Why are you attracted to the music of that era and how has it influenced the art you make? I think in the 90s, all the genres of music were reaching a point of being marketed a lot broader and a lot of the genres are being pushed to their limits so that in the 90s people started having to make up kind of combinations of genres. Um, and a lot of the bands I grew up listening to were like Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And I was also listening to kind of like Christian music that was along the same lines. And I was always drawn to the sound. And that's, that's chiefly where I gravitate toward is um, guitar-based rock music. Um, but there's something that's kind of, in my upbringing in East Tennessee, there's a lot of Appalachian music. So I was, I was kind of um, living this life of growing up in the mountains, but wishing I wasn't. And there's a lot of <laughs> very like marketable, angsty rock music for people like that. So um, like growing up, I was listening to bluegrass radio stations and I was listening to um, like Nevermind in my car. And as I 
um, went through my college years, all the music I was releasing was very folksy and acoustic and solo. And then in 2016 or so, I started listening to more music that I really loved in high school. And I started saying to myself, like, I, I need a band if I'm going to be playing the songs that I'm writing now. So um, the music grew from very kind of like Woody Guthrie type, like old folk music to something that was more expansive. And now it's kind of the embodiment of all of those sounds. And I think, honestly, the aesthetic of the album texturally is one that is just something that I just enjoy, like big guitars, big drums, sick beats. But it's like something I've always valued with my songwriting is the forwardness of the lyricism. And I think of my lyrics as well as being something that's more punk influenced. And like you listen to a lot of Fugazi's records, um, they're kind of avant-garde sometimes and other times they are just like bold statements of social conviction and political conviction. That's something I've been drawn to is speaking truth and power through my music. And that's always been the goal and I hope I never lose sight of it. Um, but I think what's interesting is, is finding different modes of sounds that can support a, and a very authentic message that's not something that's purely aesthetic, but something that has a heart to it. You touched on this, and I did want to ask you about it. Uh, you grew up outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. And Knoxville has been called the cradle of country music, and there's a very deep history of American folk music in Knoxville and, of course, in Tennessee at large. How much of that did influence you? You mentioned playing in bluegrass bands and country mm -hmm. bands, or folk bands, excuse me. How much of that did influence you, that country music or mm -hmm. folk music culture of Knoxville yes. and Tennessee? It was, it was kind of funny that in, um, in college I studied studio art, but I also minored in bluegrass music at East Tennessee State. And it was the only way I felt like I could study music outside of a class classical setting and that it would be... Um, more pragmatic ways of learning theory and band management and history that I really enjoyed. But I always felt like I'd never fit into the bluegrass world. Um, but I, I did play in like, I played mandolin in a bluegrass band for a while and pretty much everywhere you went, if you were playing a guitar, people would want you to, you to be in their alt country band. <laughs> it just happened. And I ended up in Nashville a few times playing banjo for certain people um, that I'm not sure are playing anymore. But they were definitely like, it was like worked into the, the fabric of the area is that if you played music, you were playing at a church most likely, or you were playing in some kind of like country folk or bluegrass band. And it was either that or like thrash metal. And I happened to be in all those worlds as well in high school. Um, but yeah, I hope that's answering your question. Oh, I did, yeah. I did not studied bluegrass formally. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. It's a thing, only in East Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. And Jody, am I correct? You came to Indianapolis around 2015. That's correct. Yeah. What, how did Indianapolis shape your music? Obviously, mm. Tennessee had a huge influence on the music you were making. How has Indianapolis shaped your music, and has this been a good kind of launching ground for, your, uh, for the public universal friend? Yeah. Indianapolis surprised me. I knew it was going to be more diverse than East Tennessee, but it took a while, honestly. I was, I was working under my 
my dead name for about 10 years and releasing music under that name and touring and having a band. And it wasn't really until we changed the band name that it became something that felt bigger than me. So being in the scene and trying to struggle as like a singer-songwriter was a whole different world. And there were a lot of singer-songwriters when I moved here in 2015. But something that's been really beautiful is getting to see more hip-hop and jazz music and also just like the breadth of rock music. It being like I saw Huckleberry Funk in Palace a couple weeks ago and I saw Joshua Powell and the Bee Colony last night and... So, like, the, you could all call them rock music or whatever, but it's something that has so much breadth to it. And it's something that's inspiring to me as trying to figure out what our voice is as a band, being a, like a conglomeration of all of these sounds. And the more that I've been in the Indianapolis music scene, the more it has kept me here. Um, because, of course, I've considered moving to Nashville or a larger city specifically for music. But the thing about Indianapolis is that the people who live here and play locally are people, when, they, when they're thriving, they're the ones that are investing in the local scene. And that's something I've always found very important. It's the DIY cooperative element. And my band has, it's not just us six people. We have, we have a crew of about six to eight people that are engineers and videographers and graphic designers and all these people are also in bands and it's it's like we all looked around we were like why aren't we working together um really more integrated and we like barter and there's no exchange of money and it's very like it's very it's just like a co-op basically is what we're calling it (laughs) at the time being for the time being but um that's something that's kept me here is this is community of artists and musicians that want to make Indianapolis a good place to be an artist. And instead of it being somewhere that you just want to move away from. And finally, Jody, I want to give you a chance to share any final thoughts or future plans you have. Mm-hmm. And I imagine this is a very exciting time in your life because you mentioned becoming Jody Friend was mm-hmm. a rebirth for you as a person, right? Yeah. Tell me about any future plans you have and kind of, yeah, how this all feels to become Jody Friend and share this music of mm-hmm. a public universal friend with the world. Yeah. This is the time of life that wasn't supposed to happen (laughs) according to the narrative I was living. So every day I get to make music or videos or give interviews or whatever, I consider it a gift. And it's something that I can't take for granted because it's like, oh wow, a new day that I get to live and I get to do this and I get to be myself. So there's this new found joy and gratefulness and um, presence that I have for the first time. And it's also like translating into what we're doing with the music, which is Perennials released in March. Um, And since then we've played many local shows and they've been the biggest shows we've ever played. We were getting offered opportunities for the first time instead of me feeling like I'm kind of dragging the momentum forward, which is exciting. Um, I'm writing a lot. So we're in the studio recording new music that will be um, that will re- remain yet undisclosed until <laughs> I have a uh, a better way of summing it up. 
But um, we're working on new music and we're working on touring opportunities and more Indianapolis opportunities as well. Um, but it's it's really it's it's pretty exciting in the sense that like the music isn't just playing shows and it's not just releasing records. It's something that is um, woven into the fabric of the community and who we are. So this spirit of authenticity that my band and I are like trying to put forward with the music is one that is integral to our own lives. So it's like, it feels like there's this glow that follows us around and we don't like tolerate like hatred or transphobia or racism or anything like that or toxicity. We, we value something that I think when people come to our shows, they can see this like holistic family that they can be a part of when they come to our events. Jody, thank you so much for the incredible performance today. And thank you for sharing so much of your personal story mm -hmm. with us as well. I know it's not easy to talk about some of these things, so thank you so much. It's a pleasure to meet you and hear you perform today. Thank you. Likewise, Kyle. Thank you. You can find every small studio session at WFYI.org slash small studio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for small studio comes from Sun King Brewing.